Chapter Eight of Is He Popinjoy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob Sridley, Charlottesville, Virginia. Is He Popinjoy? By Anthony Trollope. Chapter Eight. Pugsby Brook. There was great talking about the old vixen as they all trotted away to Crosshall Holt, how it was the same old fox that they hadn't killed in a certain run last January, and how one old farmer was quite sure that this very fox was the one which had taken them that celebrated run to Bamham Moor three years ago, and how she had been the mother of quite a Priam's progeny of cubs, and now that she should have been killed in a stoke-hole. While this was going on, a young lady rode up alongside of Mr. Price, and said a word to him with her sweetest smile. "'You remember your promise to me, Mr. Price?' "'Surely, Mrs. Hooten, your nag can jump a few, no doubt.' "'Beautifully. Mr. Hooten bought him from Lord Mountfencer. Lady Mountfencer couldn't ride him because he pulls a little, but he's a perfect hunter.' "'We shall find him, Mrs. Hooten, tomorrow, and do you stick to me?' They generally go straight away to Thrupp's larches. You see the little wood? There's an old earth there, but that's stopped. There's only one fence between this and that, a biggish ditch, with a bit of hedge on this side. But it's nothing to the horses when they're fresh. Mine's quite fresh. Then they mostly turn to the right for Pugsby, nothing but grass then for four miles ahead. And the jumping? All fair. There's one bit of water, Pugsby Brook that you ought to have, as he'll be sure to cross it ever so much above the bridge. But, Lord love you, Mrs. Hooten, that horse'll think nothing of the brook. Nothing at all, Mr. Price. I like brooks. I'm afraid he's not here, Price, said Sir Simon, trotting round the cover towards the whip, who was stationed at the further end. Well, Sir Simon, her as we killed came from the holt, you know, said the farmer, mindful of his reputation for foxes. You can't eat your cake and have it too, can you, Sir Simon? ought to be able in a covert like this. Well, perhaps we shall. The best lying is down in that corner. I've seen a brace of cubs together there a score of times. Then there was one short, low, dubious bark, and then another, a little more confirmed. That's it, Sir Simon, there's your cake. Good hound, Blazer, cried Sir Simon, recognizing the voice of his dog, and many of the pack recognized the well-known sound as plainly as the master, for you might hear the hounds rustling through the covert as they hurried up to certify to the scent which their old leader had found for them. The holt, though thick, was small, and a fox had not much chance but by breaking. Once up the covert, and once back again the animal went, and then Dick, the watchful whip, holding his hand up to his face, hollowed him away. "'Gently, gentlemen,' shouted Sir Simon. "'Let them settle.' Now, Mr. Bottomley, if you'll only keep yourself a little steady, you'll find yourself the better for it at the finish. Mr. Bottomley was a young man from London, who was often addressed after this fashion, was always very unhappy for a few minutes, and then again forgot it in his excitement. Now, Mr. Price, said Mrs. Hooten, in a fever of expectation, she had been dodging backwards and forwards, trying to avoid her husband, and yet unwilling to leave the farmer's side. "'Wait a moment, ma'am, wait a moment. "'Now we're right, here to the left.' "'So saying, Mr. Price jumped over a low hedge, "'and Mrs. Hooten followed him almost too closely. "'Mr. Hooten saw it and didn't follow. 
He had made his way up, resolved to stop his wife, but she gave him the slip at the last moment. Now through the gate, ma'am, and then on straight as an arrow for the little wood. I'll give you a lead over the ditch, but don't ride quite so close, ma'am. Then the farmer went away, feeling perhaps that his best chance of keeping clear from his too loving friend was to make the pace so fast that she should not be able quite to catch him. But Lady Mountfencer's nag was fast, too, was fast, and had a will of his own. It was not without a cause that Lord Mountfencer had parted with so good a horse out of his stable. "'Have a care, ma'am,' said Price, as Mrs. Hooton canted against him, as they both landed over the big ditch. "'Have a care, or we shall come to grief together. Just see me over before you let him take his jump.' It was very good advice, and is very often given, but both ladies and gentlemen, whose hands are a little doubtful, sometimes find themselves unable to follow it. But now they were at Thrupp's larches. George Scrooby had led the way, as becomes a huntsman, and a score or more had followed him over the big fence. Price had been going a little to the left, and when they reached the wood, was as forward as any one. "'He won't hang here, Sir Simon,' said the farmer, as the master came up. "'He never does.' "'He's only a cub,' said the master. "'The whole cubs this time of the year are nigh as strong as old foxes. "'Now for Pugsby.' "'Mrs. Hooton looked around, fearing every moment that her husband would come up. "'They had just crossed a road, and wherever there was a road, there she thought he would certainly be. "'Can't we get round the other side, Mr. Price?' she said. "'You won't be any better nor here. "'But there's Mr. Hooton on the road,' she whispered. "'Oh!' ejaculated the farmer, just touching the end of his nose with his finger, and moving gently on through the wood. "'Never spoil sport,' was the motto of his life, and to his thinking it was certainly sport that a young wife should ride to hounds in opposition to an old husband. Mrs. Hooton followed him, and as they got out on the other side, the fox was again away. "'He ain't making for Pugsby's after all,' said Price to George Scrooby. "'He don't know that country yet,' said the huntsman. He'll be back in them Manor Cross woods. You'll see else. The park of Manor Cross lay to the left of them, whereas Pugsby and the desirable grass country away to Bamham Moor were all to the right. Some men, mindful of the big brook, and knowing the whereabouts of the bridge, among whom was Mr. Hooton, kept very much to the right, and were soon out of the run altogether. But the worst of it was that, though they were not heading for their good country, still there was the brook, Pugsby Brook to be taken. Had the fox done as he ought to have done, and made for Pugsby itself, the leap would have been from grass to grass. But now it must be from plough to plough, if taken at all. It need hardly be said that the two things are very different. Sir Simon, when he saw how the land lay, took a lane leading down to the Brotherton Road. If the fox was making for the park, he must be right in that direction. It is not often that a master of hounds rides for glory, and Sir Simon had long since left all that to younger men. But there were still a dozen riders pressing on, and among them were the farmer and his devoted follower, and a gentleman in black. Let us give praise where praise is due, and acknowledge that young Bottomley was the first at the brook, and the first over it. As soon as he was beyond Sir Simon's notice, he had scurried on across the plough, and being both light and indiscreet, had enjoyed the heartfelt pleasure of passing George Scrooby. George, who hated Mr. Bottomley, grunted out his malediction, even though no one could hear him. 
"'He'll soon be at the bottom of that,' said George, meaning to imply, in horsey phrase, that the rider, if he rode over ploughed ground after that fashion, would soon come to the end of his steed's power. But Bottomley, if he could only be seen to jump the big brook before anyone else, would have happiness enough for a month. To have done a thing that he could talk about was the charm that Bottomley found in hunting. Alas, though he rode gallantly at the brook, and did get over it, there was not much to talk about, for, unfortunately, he left his horse behind him in the water. The poor beast, going with a rush off the plough, came with her neck and shoulders against the opposite bank, and shot her rider well on to the dry land. "'That's about as good as a dead un,' said George, as he landed a yard or two to the right. This was ill-natured, and the horse, in truth, was not hurt. But a rider, at any rate a young rider, should not take a lead from a huntsman, unless he is very sure of himself, of his horse, and of the run of the hounds. The next man over was the gentleman in black, who took it in a stand, and who really seemed to know what he was about. There were some who afterwards asserted that this was the dean, but the dean was never heard to boast of the performance. Mrs. Hooton's horse was going very strong with her. More than once the farmer cautioned her to give him a pull over the plough, and she attempted to obey the order, but the horse was self-willed, and she was light, and in truth the heaviness of the ground would have been nothing to him had he been fairly well ridden. But she allowed him to rush with her through the mud. As she had never yet had an accident, she knew nothing of fear, and she was beyond measure excited. She had been near enough to see that a man fell at the brook, and then she saw also that the huntsman got over, and also the gentleman in black. It seemed to her to be lovely. The tumble did not scare her at all, as others coming after the unfortunate one had succeeded. She was aware that there were three or four other men behind her, and she was determined that they should not pass her. They should see that she also could jump the river. She had not rid herself of her husband for nothing. Price, as he came near the water, knew that he had plenty to do, and knew also how very close to him the woman was. It was too late now to speak to her again, but he did not fear for his own horse if she would only give him room. He steadied the animal a yard or two from the margin as he came to the headland that ran down the side of the brook, and then took his leap. But Mrs. Hooton rode as though the whole thing was to be accomplished by a rush, and her horse, true to the manner of horses, insisted on following in the direct track of the one who had led him so far. When he got to the bank he made his effort to jump high, but had got no footing for a fair spring. On he went, however, and struck Price's horse on the quarter so violently as to upset that animal, as well as himself. Price, who was a thoroughly good horseman, was knocked off, but got on to the bank as Bottomley had done. The two animals were both in the brook, and when the farmer was able to look around, he saw that the lady was out of sight. He was in the water immediately himself, but before he made the plunge he had resolved that he never again would give a lady a lead till he knew whether she could ride. Mr. Knox and Dick were soon on the spot, and Mrs. Hooton was extracted. "'I'm blessed if she ain't dead,' said the whip, pale as death himself. "'Hush,' said Mr. Knox, "'she's not dead, but I'm afraid she's hurt.' Price had come back through the water with the woman in his arms, and the two horses were still floundering about, unattended. "'It's her shoulder, Mr. Knox,' said Price. "'The horse has jammed her against the bank under water. During this time her head was drooping, and her eyes were closed, and she was apparently senseless. "'Do you look to the horses, Dick? There ain't no reason why they should get their death of cold.' 
By this time there were a dozen men around them, and Dick and others were able to attend to the ill-used nags. "'Yes, it's her shoulder,' continued Price. "'That's out, anyway. What the mischief will Mr. Hooten say to me when he comes up?' There is always a doctor in the field, sent there by some benignity of providence, who always rides forward enough to be near to accidents, but never so forward as to be in front of them. It has been hinted that this arrangement is professional rather than providential, but the present rider, having given his mind to the investigation of the matter, is inclined to think that it arises from the general fitness of things. All public institutions have, or ought to have, their doctor, but in no institution is the doctor so invariably at hand, just when he is wanted, as in the hunting field. A very skilful young surgeon from Brotherton was on the spot almost as soon as the lady was out of the water, and declared that she had dislocated her shoulder. What was to be done? Her hat had gone, she had been under the water, she was covered with mud, she was still senseless, and of course she could neither ride nor walk. There were ever so many suggestions. Price thought that she had better be taken back to Cross Hall, which was about a mile and a half distance. Mr. Knox, who knew the country, told them of a side-gate in the manor cross wall, which made the great house nearer than Cross Hall. They could get her there in a little over a mile. But how to get her there? They must find a door on which to carry her. First a hurdle was suggested, and then Dick was sent galloping up to the house for a carriage. In the meantime she was carried to a laborer's cottage by the roadside on a hurdle, and there the party was joined by Sir Simon and Mr. Hooton. "'It's all your fault,' said the husband, coming up to Price, as though he meant to strike him with his whip. "'Part of it is no doubt, sir,' said Price, looking his assailant full in the face, but almost sobbing as he spoke, "'and I'm very unhappy about it.' Then the husband went and hung over his wife, but his wife, when she saw him, found it convenient to faint again. At about two o'clock the cortege with a carriage reached the great house. Sir Simon, after expressions of deep sorrow, had, of course, gone on after his hounds. Mr. Knox, as belonging to Manor Cross, and Price, and, of course, the doctor with Mr. Hooton and Mr. Hooton's groom, accompanied the carriage. When they got to the door, all the ladies were there to receive them. "'I don't think we want to see anything more of you,' said Mr. Hooton to the farmer. The poor man turned round and went away home, alone, feeling himself to be thoroughly disgraced. "'After all,' he said to himself, "'if you come to fault, it was she nigh killed me, not me her. How was I to know she didn't know nothing about it?' "'Now, Mary, I think you'll own that I was right,' Lord George said to his wife as soon as the sufferer had been put quietly to bed. "'Ladies don't always break their arms,' said Mary. "'It might have been you as well as Mrs. Hooton. "'As I didn't go, you need not scold me, George. "'But you were discontented because you were prevented,' said he, determined to have the last word. End of chapter 8